Welcome to A Nice Place to Brew with Jason and Kevin, a show about all things beer and beer making. Gentlemen, please broadcast responsibly. And with that, we are rolling. Welcome to A Nice Place to Brew. I'm Jason. And I'm Kevin. Wait. What? Huh? You're you're not George. (laughs) Oh. How you doing? Hey, it's been a little while. It's been uh, been many months. Um, Yes, we are... Uh, we are back on a nice place to brew, and uh, we have a, a new uh, new part of a nice place to brew who's uh, joining us in the studio. I'd like to introduce uh, Kevin. Hello, everybody. Very Ke- uh, great to be here. Kevin, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. So uh, it's great to be here. Hope uh, everyone had a great Thanksgiving and uh, everybody's getting geared up for Christmas. Very good. Very good. Well, I guess to get the elephant in the room out of out of the out of the way real quick, um, there's been some big changes um, in the landscape of a nice place to brew since the last recording. Um, George and I were obviously a home brewer team in the Chicagoland area. Um, George had found a um, uh, business opportunity out out of state, and he since has uh, has relocated. So uh, in in that. Um, Obviously, there's uh, a, you know a big change in the landscape of both our brewing operations and our podcast operations. So um, everything is is good in his no, new location. He's now in the uh, Richmond, Virginia area. He is uh, back brewing beer again after several months of kind of getting life together, and uh, so he's he's doing very well. And we we certainly uh, wish him well as well. Now, Kevin here, um, we we both knew from our uh, of, through one of our brew clubs that we go to on a regular basis. Kevin has really been a champion of the show for ver- for a very long time, and also has a wealth of knowledge about home brewing, and is also a uh, certified beer judge. So he's uh, he's got a lot to um, to bring to the show, and we look forward to some some really good content going forward. Well, I'm uh, definitely happy to be here, Jason. Uh, just a little bit about me, um, yes. I actually brewed my first batch of beer in 1994 uh, with my dad's Mr. Beer kit that he didn't want at the time. So um, I cracked open uh, a little uh, can of beer or this can of extract and and poured it into the little plastic fermenter that they give you. And that was when that first came out. Uh, Now, of course, I I took a hiatus until um, about five years ago. So uh, but that was my first batch of beer was in the early 90s. So I was not of legal age to drink it. So I cannot (laughs) vouch whether it was good or not, you know, but I uh, did produce a batch of beer back then. But uh, since then, uh, I am a member of the Joliet Brewers Guild that we are, are both a part of and and that's a ho- local homebrewing club that we meet once a month and kind of talk about different kinds of homebrewing topics and uh, really a great group of people there and i am a certified bjcp judge now wh- I, when did you when did you complete the bjcp certification well there's different levels to it i guess you could say um, i've been judging beers now for close to a year and a half and i've done different competitions but uh there's an online test that you need to pass uh which uh, this is all available at bjcp.org if uh, folks out there are interested in doing it but you have to pass the online test and it's uh, a variety of different things that we had to study i was part of a study group which you know one of the perks of studying for beer tests is that we get to taste all different kinds of beers from around the world so uh that's kind of a nice thing but that's the kind of studying i can get behind yeah exactly exactly so um but once we once I pass that, um, there's a tasting exam that uh, 
you, you need to go through, and it's pretty rigorous. You get, I believe it's seven beers in about an hour and a half. Uh, you fill out a sample score sheet, and that's the, the written tasting exam. So there's proctors there that are highly ranked BJCP judges, and they're drinking the same beer as you uh, and scoring theirs. And so your scores are kind of che- checked against the, the experts there. So, um, And once you go through all that, I think it's been – uh officially i've been an official bjcp judge for about six months right now so i am you know just still trying to get out there and get into different competitions and kind of build my experience and i guess the next level would be to uh go and take a a longer written exam to go up a level but uh for right now i'm kind of going around to to different uh chicagoland competitions and and trying that out that's great so brew wise do you have kind of a go-to style that's either kind of your taste of choice or even one that you prefer to uh, to make over any others i would say as a home brewer to a certain extent i feel like i have brewing adhd uh i'm not sure if i've ever done (laughs) the same style more than a couple of times uh i do Lately here, I've been liking to do a lot more of your hoppier styles because I do have some friends that are uh, they're at a farm and they're able to grow their own hops and uh, they've given me access to some really nice Cascade and Centennial hops from a farm and nice. So I've I've had an opportunity to brew with those, but generally I'm always trying to do something new that I've never done before every time I brew. So if even if it's just a, a new yeast or. Uh, a, a new style, a new kind of grain. Oh, I've never seen this before. I want to try this out in a brew. I always think it's kind of important for me to just try and learn something new every time I, I do it. So That's great advice. That's great advice. And you know what? I think that'd be a great topic at a, at a later show is, uh, is um, um, uh, hop farming. Because that's there's a lot. I know a lot of people that do that as well, and they end up making some really creative batches with those. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I think uh, it, it's a really, really rewarding thing to be able to go out there and, and turn basically a, a weed into into beer you know that uh depending on the way you set it up it can provide shade and uh, they're a real pretty plant to have in the backyard too but i don't have much expertise on that i just get to reap the benefits of it there so. you go <laughs> well we're gonna uh, start to segue into segment number one uh and before i do that i want to say that the structure of the show is going to change a little bit um but segment number one which we previous did previously did as other brews reviewed is going to uh, remain as is. Um, we're going to do. Um, we're both going to review one beer that we've had recently, and then we're going to do two different live uh, taste tests. We both separately have brought um, two beers into the studio, and uh, we're going to do this a little bit differently. We're going to use a BJCP score sheet to kind of evaluate uh, these uh, these beers. Uh, we're both going to be tasting these for the first time, so this is really kind of a um, first-time taste test in kind of a uh, in kind of a classic judge environment. So I think this is uh, this is going to be good. So with that, we're going to go into other brews reviewed, and uh, my first beer, as I'm going to uh, pull up here, I guess here's a free advertisement. Um, as far as reviewing beers, the there's no better app in my opinion than Untapped. So uh, that's what I'm going into. I had a beer in a bar a few weeks ago that was one of the most unique beers that I've ever had. It's from a brewery called James Page Brewing Company out of Minnesota. The name of the beer is Casper. Now, before I go into what Casper is, I want to I give a description on exactly how this beer was served to me. This was served in a custom printed glass about 12 ounces uh, 12 ounces large with the uh, and it was printed on it 
reading J.P.'s Adventurous Brews with a Twist. This could not have been a more appropriate glass to taste one of the most unique beers that I've ever had. Casper is a golden stout. I'm going to turn the phone around and show Kevin exactly Ooh. what this is. So this is a this pours like um, like a light beer, like a like a lager of of any kind, and then you have a thick foamy head on top of it, which resembles a stout. Uh, one taste of this beer, and this is a full on stout taste wise. The body, the flavor to it, you know the malt the malt forward characters. Nothing in this beer said anything about being a golden beer except the appearance of it. It kind of puts me in the mind of like when they came out with Crystal Pepsi, if you remember back in yes, the day. That it, yes. you know what what your eyes see and what your mouth is tasting is two completely different things with with uh, your lighter stouts these days. So true, so true. I'm going to read the uh, – this is going to take me a second to find, but I'm going to read the description that, uh, that was put on, uh, on tap to describe this beer. Throw out your expectations out the window. We know stouts are supposed to be dark, but what fun is that? Really, Casper White Stout is a white buffalo standing out from the herd, a diamond in the rough, white chocolate, you get it, Distinctively golden in color with big pills and malt flavor and a touch of hops. Uh, ABV is uh, 6%, so not an imperial stout. This was just a really enjoyable, very, very unique beer. Casper by James Page Brewing out of Minnesota. So that, uh, yeah, that's the, uh, to put uh, kind of a cap on uh, Casper there. Kevin, what Um, you got? All right. Well, uh, actually, recently I had an opportunity on Wednesday the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, which a lot of people refer to as Blackout Wednesday. Uh, I had an opportunity to hit up a couple of breweries here locally, and I just wanted to talk about a new brewery that uh, hasn't been open for very long, I don't think, more than a few months, but uh, over in Tinley Park there, the name of the brewery is Sound Growler Brewery, or Sound Growler Growler Brewing, and uh, they made a, a bunch of different beers, and I had a flight. I enjoyed most of them. One stuck out to me in general. Uh, it was called Warblood, which is a red IPA, and uh, I liked it. I think because it's something a little bit different, but not too different. I, you know, when you see IPA, you think big hoppy flavor, which it did deliver on, but it's more of like a very hopped up American amber ale, which you know, so you've got a good roasty backbone notes, and you've got some some malt that comes through, but also some big citrus that comes off the hops and it's altogether works nicely which sometimes those kind of styles can be a little heavy-handed with the hops or a little too much malt and not enough hops but just not enough this, balance this one was right on the money and uh, i really enjoyed it and it was a really cool place to go uh, so I always like to give shout outs to local places when I come across something that's that's neat and so uh, and also right down the road uh, from Hailstorm Brewing in Tinley Park which recently has uh, gotten some accolades with uh, the GABF medal and all that so it's really easy to be able to to hit both of those breweries right you know right down the street from one another uh, but Sound Growler I was really impressed with a really cool vibe over there uh, a lot of bunch of metal heads over there that looked like they kind of run the place they had a metal band playing and uh it was a really neat vibe and and i really did enjoy the the beer there too so uh and very good tacos so which you can't beat that so out of a truck or did they serve beer right uh, on site they have like a little taco they have like a little taco truck right there or a little taco stand right there and they'll just do oh, they don't nice. do it they don't have a full menu but you can get a few different tacos and nachos and and little munchies while you're there so that's awesome um, yeah and every beer i had was solid 
That's awesome. I got to get out there. Yeah, definitely. Very cool. Well, we're going to go into our taste tests, and I actually need to run upstairs to get a bottle opener, but if I can ask one thing of Kevin, we have uh, in front of us a, a pair of BJCP score sheets. Do you want to cover just kind of the, the landscape of, of how these forms are, uh, are, are put together? Well, certainly. The, uh, the standard for most BJCP scorings would be a score of 1 to 50. 50 is the most outstanding world-class example of a style that you can get. Um, basically, it falls into different levels uh, with the score. 0 to 13 is problematic. 14 to 20 is fair. 21 to 29, good. 30 to 37, very good. 38 to 44, excellent. And 45 to 50 is outstanding or, again, like a world-class example of the style. So so if you're getting that kind of score, pretty much make plans to open your own brewery. Kind absolutely. Of I think that even the best commercial examples of styles are most of the time when you, when you see, you know, BJC Grant BJCP Grandmaster judges scoring them uh, 40s. I mean, anything 40 and above is a fantastic beer. So um, I'm not sure if in my life I've had more than a, I, a couple where I would say they're 48, 49, 50, that sort of thing. You know what? I totally agree with that. It's it's really rare that you would come across a beer that just hits all those categories just perfectly to the point that you get a score that high. Right, absolutely. And uh, I think for a commercial example, I'm not necessarily thinking that I'm going to assign a score to it because these are, again, classic examples of the styles that we're looking at here. So um, we can assume that these are going to be good, but I, you yeah. know, we could, we can touch on some of the things that when, as a home brewer, if you go to, to enter a BJCP competition, the kind of feedback that you'll get, uh, you'll get the score sheet here and, and it, and it pretty much divides your score into some categories. You've got aroma, appearance, flavor, mouthfeel, and then an overall impression. So uh, we always start by kind of sticking your nose in the glass and, and giving, a good, giving a good impression on what the aroma is. Hold it up to a light, depending on where we're at. We can shine a light through it and just kind of see what the clarity of the beer is. And uh, even though that's a hot topic in brewing these yeah, days, clarity yeah. of beer, whether it should be hazy or not. But uh, the, and then, of course, you know, the flavor which gets that's the majority of the score obviously is how the beer tastes and then there's talk about mouthfeel and then an overall impression like usually that's the spot where you would tell the home brewer you'd say hey i would buy a pint of this if i were in a bar could you send me the recipe to this beer or you know maybe watch your fermentation temperatures it got a little uh, i got some off flavors on that sort of thing so these are the kind of things that you can expect to get feedback for from your own brews if you enter a competition that's great that's great what uh, what's that bottle right in front of you? So I think we're going to open with my beer here that I brought, which is uh, Founders Backwoods Bastard, and uh, this is um, an ale that's it's aged in oak barrels. I always try to pick up at least a four pack every year. Uh, I'm a big big fan. Uh, of is this, this an beer. annual release? Is that how they do it? It is an annual release, and uh, so this is a I believe it's a Scotch ale that they they age in. In bourbon barrels. And this is one of my styles of choice, too. Founders, oh, yeah. And Founders has a really crazy, I mean, I, I guess I've never been, but I've seen on the internet and stuff that they have a series of caves in under the brewery there in, in Grand Rapids where 
that's where they're aging all these beers at. So all these beers have been in a cave for a certain amount of time. And, uh, I mean, it's just pretty – of, yeah, of the people out there who do the who do the barrel aging, they've definitely got their process down. So Man, I would love to see that. Absolutely. I, yeah. Definitely on my list of, of breweries to go to. Oh, and, for and sure. Beer cities to go to, Grand Rapids. Yeah. Yeah. No, to, to me, I, we've we've talked on this on this show in previous episodes about founders uh, brewing company in the past. And to me, I mean, founders is really one of the gold standard breweries out there. I mean, just the, the varieties that they have and just and just the strength of, of each of them. I mean, really, I mean, I've really I'd really be hard pressed to identify a best or or uh, or or even a subpar beer that that they've ever made. I mean, they just their stuff is just fantastic. Completely agree. Yeah, they're very rarely missed the mark with anything that they've done in the past. Yeah, yeah. So let's see if this one uh, kind of uh, fits that uh, fits that description as well. So we've got a uh, we've got a pour here. We got a real uh, real healthy carbonation head to it. Um, good golden color. I think this is very um, I think this is very fitting with a Scotch ale style. Oh, absolutely! It's yeah. got a good, got a good about inch of uh, I'd say like tan or khaki kind of colored foam. Yep. Um, you can swirl it; it doesn't go away. It just kind of hangs there in the glass. Uh, real good clarity on this beer too. Uh, yeah, no sediment I mean, or anything. No, I mean you could shine a light right through it. It's got that dark brown caramel kind of appearance to it but i think probably my favorite part about this beer is is the aroma so uh, it, I, I know that this isn't uh, it's it's hard to get that across on a podcast but uh literally as soon as he poured it i mean it's it's and my nose is inches away from the this beer right now but it's i can smell it it's like a heavy roast note a little bit of like kind of a scotch kind of a peaty kind of aroma to it well what are you picking up there jason i i'm getting i'm getting very heavy bourbon barrel like that—that's the overall overall impression I got there. Yeah, let's get a get a first taste here. Let's see. Okay. I think the bourbon barrel notes are stronger in the aroma than the flavor. The flavor still does have that classic uh, Scotch ale taste to it. It's got a good malt forward presence to it. And I think the I think the bourbon notes just kind of give some more dense, heavier notes to it. Yeah, it's a it's a good complement to the beer, but I don't find that the the bourbon is riding in the front seat. You know, it's a, it's an accompaniment to the to the malt and uh, and the sweetness of the malt. So it's a nice kind of a sweet beer, but a little warming on the way down. I For think, sure, yeah. Uh, I think ABV on this beer, I am for it here i'd say nine or ten just just from the flavor of it yeah i don't uh unfortunately i don't have it in front of me time out a second per untapped the abv of backwoods bastard is 11.2 percent yeah so i mean you can definitely see where you get that warming sensation oh yeah for sure but i always find that with bigger beers like that uh the best beers are the ones that kind of conceal their abv to a certain degree that uh, you swallow it and it's warming, but it's not hot and it, you don't get a lot of fusel alcohol flavor. Mm-hmm. Uh, Completely agree. There's It's smooth, but you know you're drinking something that's that's going to warm you up for yeah. sure. This is not an all-nighter. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> a short nighter. <laughs> yeah, ex- well, yeah, it would be a short night for sure. But, um, you know, to share with a, to share with a friend and, and just kind of have one. And uh, this, again, a, a perfect late fall, cold weather kind of beer. Uh, I like that kind of that something that warms you up, but it's not like drinking a 
a cup of bourbon. I mean, that's the yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. So I am definitely a big fan of this beer. I usually do get it every year. And I do nice. think that this year's release, I mean, because they can kind of vary from year to year, I do think this year's release is, was one of their best as far as the uh, the the balance in there and the, and the smoothness. So Nice. And, and it is a beer that does stand up to some aging because I've had it a couple years old, and it's been fantastic. Oh, so. I believe it. I believe it. I may leave this out. Is this um, is this the same recipe? Do you know of Dirty Bastard, just aged in barrels? I think so, but I don't know if they imperialize it. I wonder if that's if there's a difference in ABV. You know what? I think I think there is because I think a Dirty Bastard, the way um, um, the way it's packaged and sent out, I think it's between eight and nine percent, and I don't think the bourbon barrel would add two percent. So they to must it. kick it up a little bit to barrel age it. They could, yeah. This is good. I really like this. Yeah, it's yeah. a great beer. I love it. I'm going to take a final swig of this, and there's another bottle here on the table waiting for us. i got to give one uh, one shout-out to the Joliet Brewers Guild, which Kevin and I are both members of. Um, at our monthly meetings, uh, one of the uh, new additions this year is they do a, uh, a monthly beer raffle. And uh, the members uh, have, have come in with some pretty impressive uh, collector's edition beers, and this beer that I have in my hand is one of them. Um, the brewery uh, that's that's on this bottle is one that'll be familiar to to many people. This is Deschutes Brewery out of Bend, Oregon. Uh, this is a this is another high uh, high performing brewery. They do have pretty wide distribution and they have a lot of uh, specialty releases, including this one. The bottle I have in my hand is called Black Butte uh, Twenty Six Birthday Reserve. Um, I'm l- I'm just reading this right off the label. This is ale brewed with pomegranate molasses. With 50% aged in bar- uh, bourbon barrels, blended with ale with cocoa nibs and cranberry added. Wow, that is, that's a lot going on. There absolutely is, and there's more. <clears throat> Our 26th anniversary Imperial Porter was aged in bourbon barrels and dry spiced with Theo's cocoa nibs, revealing hints of vanilla and chocolate. This, this is right up my alley here. Pomegranate molasses and cranberries complement the robust flavor with a hint of fruit and just enough tart to make you smile. Okay, there's a lot of that, good I, I'm things just, going I'm on just, with that. I'm trying to just process all this together. Uh, a lot of times, you'll get these beer companies that will add so much to a beer that it, it can be sometimes a little confusing that's for a, a palate. Good, that's a very good point. You, you, there can be a point of diminishing returns if you're trying to do too much with one thing, right? And and or you you get uh, sometimes where they'll do your barrel aged beers where oh well this one was barrel aged with these ten ingredients in it and we've got coconut and peppers and this and that and and sometimes it, it hits the mark and sometimes it doesn't so I'm, I'm anxious to try this one I think it uh, let, let's see let's see what our take is on this one this one does have a wax coating around the uh, cap so we'll see what kind of challenge this gives me with uh, with opening it I remember the the first special this of uh, this is a, a side story the first special edition beer that I ever bought this is going back probably about three years right now. It was a it was from a brewery out of Naperville. We talked about it on this show, Solemn Oath Brewing. Oh yeah, I'm and familiar with them. Yeah, yeah, they do they do some good stuff. But anyways, they had a um, a Belgian triple special release that they uh, that they released, and I got a hold of a number of bottles. The wax coating they had on this bottle was so thick. <laughs> we, we tried to open it here on this show, and literally. And, no joke, it took at least 20 minutes just to cut through this wax. Insert the chainsaw sound effect in the <laughs> <Yes>. background. 
<laughs> it's like you know people are gonna eventually want to open this you know? exactly exactly this one opened with far more ease than that yeah, so no, no trouble there yes good job to shoot yes hats off to you all right so let's see how this pours okay so the category of this is an imperial porter and the color of this is almost comparable to the Backwoods Bastard that we just poured, but I think the SRM on this would be a little bit higher from what I'm seeing I right agree. here. Yeah. It's definitely not pouring like a motor oil that yes. you're used to seeing with some Imperial Stouts. It's got True. some opaqueness to it. How's the aroma? Well, you can definitely tell that there is some fruit in this beer. Oh, for sure. Along with the roast. I yeah. Mean, the, the first thing I think that hits me is, uh, I think it's that pomegranate that we were talking yeah, about. Yeah, pomegranate and cranberry. Yeah, definitely berries is kind of right yeah. up front. Uh, I don't know if I'm getting any real barrel from it, you know, when I put my nose in there. Yeah. But, uh, d which is fine. I mean, I, I like a good fruit beer, too. But, me, too. And, yeah. uh, and they did definitely advertise it on the bottle. Now, if somebody poured this and said, hey, try this Imperial Porter, and I went to take a take a whiff of Billy. What's going on in here? Right. But, <laughs> um, but no, this is nice. It's a, it's very pleasant. Going back to what you were saying about the barrel not being so present, the flavor is, is right on par with that as well. I mean, that's a, I mean, number one, that's a really good flavor to that beer. But from that first sip, you would not guess this was aged in a bourbon barrel. Yeah, or even 50% of it made it into a barrel. You yeah. Know, which is kind of, it's kind of crazy, which is fine. I mean, I, um, I don't think that makes or breaks a beer, definitely. But uh, I, I do, I, f I feel like my, my first impression of this one as I kind of took a sip was it tastes like maybe somebody, you know, I think a good style or a good uh, descriptor for this one would be somebody spread some, some jelly onto like a piece of toast or a bagel that was maybe cooked to or that was maybe toasted almost to the point of being burnt but not fully burnt okay yeah you know what i'm saying do, like yeah. if you ever uh like somebody set the toaster on like six instead of three okay you know and it's okay. got that kind of that roasty almost burnt but not quite burnt note in the background but then a bunch of like jelly and and fruit on top of the roast I'm catching that, too. I know exactly what you're saying, and, and that's definitely the pomegranate and cranberry notes that are adding that. I tell you, I really enjoy this. Oh, it's delicious. Yeah, yeah for sure. I'm, uh, again, just like with our, our last beer, I, I'm glad we're sharing it, and I'm glad yeah. that I'm not trying to drink a bomber of this alone. I feel like this is one that, you know, if you split a bomber of this with someone, I don't think you'd, again, want another one. Per Probably se, true. Because of the strong flavors, and it's not that I'm saying that makes it a bad beer. I'm saying that... Uh, with flavors that are this strong, I think it's good to kind of oh well. There's this one would throw a curveball in the in the middle of a night of exactly. of a session of beers or exactly. a flight of beers. This would be like the whoa wait hey hold on now what do we got here? This is one you wouldn't immediately recognize as a ten and a half percent beer, which is what the label says. Ten and a half percent. Yeah, you wouldn't wow. guess just from the no, flavor. No, not would at you? all. I mean, it's it definitely way more mellow than that. I mean, it's definitely warming, uh, but without any kind of astringency or. Um, I, I mean, I, I think the mouthfeel, it's its not quite like uh, an imperial stout where you get like that creamy, like almost like syrupy motor oil kind of feeling. Right, right. Uh, so it is, it does have that more of a classic porter mouthfeel, which, you know, we're going to be getting into porter here yes, a little bit are. later in the, yep. in the show. But uh, I, I do like how it's kind of a thin, warming, fruity 
roasty toasty uh again i think this would be great after a meal i don't know if i'd pair this with anything maybe yes. a slice of chocolate cake or yeah uh but i feel like it's almost a dessert in and of itself this beer could you pour you, this over cheesecake yeah right or i just <laughs> i want to plop a an ice cream scoop into this or something you know yes. and, um but f- for the most part i feel like this is something that would have mass appeal. This would be one of those kind of beers that would get your non-beer friends uh, on board or, or you know, maybe uh, a, a lot of women who prefer kind of uh, fruity flavors That's in their beer. That's a Hey, I know you're not a beer person, you know, and I know I gave you an IPA and, 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 and you gagged the last time you had one, but yeah. <laughs> try this. Just give this one a shot. I think this would maybe open some minds to, to some different styles of beer. And, and uh, for the right palate, I think this would be right on the money. That's great. So just to close this out, um, the, uh, the top rating on these uh, beer score sheets that, uh, that we got in front of us is 50. So let's um, just from the uh, notes that we uh, that, that we've talked about here, let's let's put a number to these. We don't have to go through uh, the individual categories, but out of fifty, let's uh, let's put a score to uh, to the uh, founders backwoods bastard. Well, and again, it, it's tough for me uh, in, in a homebrew competition. You have a nameless, faceless person that you're just drinking their beer and scoring it for them it's entry number one five zero you know uh so knowing and looking at a bottle that says founders brewing company on it you know that these guys i mean these guys their reputation your their reputation precedes them as far as so that would impact your uh, absolutely i mean this is this was not a blind tastings you know you know i would say that backwards bastard is a, a classic example of the style with just enough different that they've done to it with the barrel aging okay to uh, and again, you know, if this were a homebrew competition, they might enter it in wood aged beers instead of you know your usual Scotch ale. Or I think that heavy. would be the more fitting category. Right, for exactly, it. exactly. So as uh, and again, since it's not really in any particular style, I mean, what it is 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 a great beer. I would say uh, one of my actually my all time favorite beers. So I mean, I would say forty five on a beer like this. Okay, okay, in a wood aged category. Sure. Okay. All right. I would I would put it a couple of points lower. I think it's very strong on the um, on the overall notes. To me, it, it's interesting because we have we have a different take on the bourbon barrel notes on this. To me, I think the bourbon barrel notes are very strong and a little bit overpowering. So I would I would deduct a few points off of that. And again, that's a palate thing. I'm, it I'm is. definitely it is. I'm also a fan of bourbon. Uh, not that I could go into uh, podcasting on on bourbon. I'm not a, <laughs> okay. an expert, but I do love the flavor. So okay, okay, I would go 41 on that one. But I'm mean, honestly that that's still an extremely yeah. We're both in agreement score. that it's a great beer. Yeah. Oh, for completely, sure. completely. Yeah. No Anything doubt, no over doubt. 40, I mean, it's uh, that is an excellent beer. Yeah. So so segueing to Black Butte 26 Birthday Reserve. Okay, uh, so for this beer, again, I, I think you would probably enter this one as uh, it. Style-wise, in a BJCP category, I think you would put it in the uh, fruit and spice category. Uh, or that is a good point. I'm Th- not this sure this would be a really difficult beer to categorize because you have a lot of fruit notes, but this would not fit in well with a fruit notes cat with a fruit category of beers. Well, and and again, I, I think good advice for people out there that are looking to get their their beers involved in competitions is when you're thinking what style should I enter this beer in? And and this is a good conversation point here is that... Yes, it is. uh, You don't enter the beer that you tried to make. You enter the beer that you did make. 
So you know what I'm saying. So a, a good example of that would be like if someone brewed what they thought was going to be a pale ale, but then maybe they got a little too heavy-handed on the hops. Okay. It comes out tasting more like an IPA. Uh-huh. Don't enter it in pale ale. Enter it in IPA because... That's great um, advice. You, you enter the beer that you made. And so I think in, in this particular beer, since the fruit is so so forward, uh, and, and again, I mean, maybe it's because it's it's a relatively new beer. I mean, I'd, I'd like to see how some aging would affect a beer like this. But uh, I, I think for a beer like this, the the berries are so upfront that I, I would maybe go into uh, a specialty fruit beer or um, there's a there's a just a fruit beer category, but I don't know quite if it's on the fruit beer i would say if i were to enter this i would enter it in uh, category 29c it's called specialty fruit beer okay um and again because when you when you're talking about specialties i mean it's not like they can go all the way up to i mean any level of abv any kind of of darkness lightness the only thing that that this is kind of a catch-all most of these categories are put in as like catch-alls oh for sure uh, in the program so that Beers when they come through that are kind of like this, where they hey we're going to throw in some molasses and some cranberries and this and that. I mean it's like the main thing I think that that comes forward in this beer is the fruit. So uh, if I were to score this beer, I would score. I would think that, or if I were the brewer of this beer and I were entering it in a competition, I would enter it in 29C specialty fruit beer. So um, and I think in that category, it's a, a, a great example of the style. I think so too. You have a number in mind? Well, um, right off the top of my head, and again, we're not uh, we're not picking this apart here. Right, fine right, comb, exactly. Yeah, this, this is mean, kind of a I quick would, uh, a quick overall review. Right, I would call this uh, an excellent beer. Uh, I would say thirty seven, thirty eight. I mean, just my my initial impression. Okay, uh, okay, is that uh, it's it's very very enjoyable beer. Um, I, I like the way that they showcase the fruit. It's the the thing that kind of rides up front more than than any of the other styles. But you kind of notice on on the back end and on the finish, it's like, oh, okay, there's right. a little molasses and roast in there. But right. uh, f- for the most part, I think that cranberry and pomegranate isn't something that I personally would think to put together. But it, it worked. Yeah. In this beer. Yeah. So how about you? I really appreciate the balance that the 50% aged in uh, barrels lends to this and the fact that it's not so barrel forward as the uh, as the founders one is that that's that speaks volumes to me and and I appreciate that I would go a couple of points higher based on that and there's also kind of my personal palate you know uh, that that lends to that I'll uh, you know of course because I really like berries and the fact that they included both pomegranates and cranberries both of which are flavors i enjoy this one just naturally sits pretty well with me this is definitely an excellent beer to have right after the thanksgiving holiday absolutely I, absolutely uh, you know now, what now if I i'll just... tell you what with a with a uh right after a, a turkey meal You'd be hard pressed to find a better beer than that. Right I mean, there. maybe you take a bite of your turkey next Thanksgiving and then chase it down <laughs> with a little with a little swig of this. That's one. That's a great idea. You know, just like you do yeah. with the with the, the cranberry sauce. You know, you throw the extra cranberry sauce on the end of your fork. Like, mm, yeah. here we go. Maybe that's the maybe that's the way to go. So just to put a number to this, I'm going to go 42. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Great beer. Yeah. This is great. Definitely. All right. All right, let's uh, let's seal up uh, segment number one. That was other brews reviewed. 
Um, we are going into segment number two. Uh, this is a new this is a new segment for a nice place to brew. This is the recipe wizard. We are, on each show we're going to talk about uh, one different uh, style per episode, and the uh, style that we're going to talk about in this segment is going to be an English porter. And just for reference, we're going to be looking at uh, the BJCP category thirteen C. Just for reference, so stay with us. Welcome back to A Nice Place to Brew. I am Jason. And I'm Kevin. And we are going into segment number two, Recipe Wizard. This episode, we're going to be talking about English Porter. Uh, going back to uh, the uh, BJCP category, you can reference category 13C for the uh, for the description of the beer that we're going to be talking about. So here's just kind of a top-level description of the English Porter. A moderate-strength brown beer with a restrained roasty character and bitterness may have a range of roasty flavors, generally without burnt qualities, and often has a chocolate caramel malty profile. Alcohol by volume range um, is described as 4% to 7%. The IBU range is 18 to 35%, so relatively low on the overall scale. And the SRM, which measures the color of the beer, is measured between 20 and 30 and 20 to 30 is dark but not quite stout dark so you know just a you know good dark uh, brown color is ideal for the style kevin do you want to uh, add uh, you you'd mentioned earlier just uh before we uh went in about uh, some historical examples of this do you want to cover that a little bit uh, absolutely so i i think when you're talking about english porter now obviously if you were in england it would just be a porter right uh, what we have to remember is that as americans when when we drink a porter I think you kind of get a certain uh, you get a certain pre preconceived notion in your head of oh this is what this beer is going to taste like and it's much different over there what their version of a porter is and what the American porter is uh, ours are typically a lot stronger a little more body definitely more hops anytime you put anything American in front of any beer style you know there's going to be more hops there uh, but. I think a lot of people, when they hear porter, they think, oh, okay, this is going to be a, a big, deep, roasty beer. It's going to be like these ones that we reviewed earlier that, oh, I can have one of these, and then I better I yep. better hit the brakes and take it easy. Uh, but as you mentioned, I mean, the the ABV on English porters can go all the way down to 4% to, to 5.5%. Most of them are right around in that range. And uh, I think kind of because, and again, I'm not English, I'm not from there, but from, from what you read about uh English and British beer culture is that uh, they've been on top of the whole uh, light beer or session beer phenomenon for centuries, right? Uh, most, mostly here in America, the light beer revolution or whatever you want to call it kind of came out more in the 70s uh, when the big brewing bre- big brewing companies started producing these lighter beers. But it's been tradition for years for people to kind of sit in in the pub with their with their mates and and have you know a, a number of pints together and and be sure. able to have a few beers and and drink with meals and and still be able to stand up at the end of the night and walk out. So um, I think that it's it's typically <laughs> a, an American thing that when you hear porter you think oh it's going to be a big big heavy warm beer and it's just not the case with an English porter. It's more of a more of a subdued more of a kind of a lighter uh, subtle style but still very enjoyable 
That's a great point. One of the uh, one of the notes that I had written down about this is, I've I've always found the English porter style to be very versatile, and I think uh, an example that you see of that, and it's probably more in U.S. examples, like you were saying, than uh, than than traditional U.K. examples, is this is a style that allows for a lot of variation and a lot of interesting adjuncts, probably more so than other styles such as uh, IPAs or, or other styles. You know, you can add a lot of a lot of things to this, you know, base recipe and it'll come, you know, come over as very present and also still very fitting with the style. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, especially uh, this time of year, uh, you could take any, you know, any recipe that's an English porter and spice it up to kind of make more of a winter warmer or winter ale. Sure. Uh, that sort of thing. Uh, I also think, too, uh, another thing that I kind of find is a main difference when you're tasting the different beers is that uh, you'll find the mouthfeel on the British uh, is a little more airy, a little more pillowy. It's got a little more uh, carbonation to it, a little more thin. Right. But not in a bad way. It's, it's just more of a, like I say, it's a very subtle style. It's uh, one of those that I think a lot of people think when they make dark, roasty beers that, uh, okay, well, the roast is kind of going to cover up any of the mistakes I, I that I would make at other parts of the brewing, kind of okay. like how some people will kind of try to cover up certain things with hops. That, uh, but as a home brewer and 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 even in a commercial sense, I think that it's a style that if you're very good at it, it's it's pretty obvious, and and uh, flaws can come out a little more obviously a little bit too. I agree uh, because it is just such a kind of a subtle and and lower ABV. It's a sipper that sort of thing. I also have written down about some uh, commercial examples, and I do have these separated into both UK and US just to kind of distinguish the difference between the, uh, the, the traditional classic sense, which is the UK styles, and a couple things that uh, the US breweries have, uh, have done. Uh, starting off with the UK uh, versions, Samuel Smith Brewery out of, the, uh, out of the UK makes a porter called Taddy Porter, which is kind of, you know... Uh, kind of one of those classic examples of a porter. It that is, is the benchmark for, it, for the style. That's the word I was looking doubt. for. It is the benchmark. Yeah. Anything that uh, you really can't mention British beer without talking about Samuel Smith Brewery and, and Fuller's. It's like those two, if uh, if you're going to talk British beer. It's funny you Sammy, should mention Sammy that Smith was my second Fuller's. example. Yep, exactly. It's a, those are outstanding, outstanding examples. Now, going to the U.S., uh, the, the examples I have are from two breweries that have both been talked about on previous episodes of this show. Uh, I'll say the breweries before I talk about the styles. The first one is Left Hand Brewery. The second one is Breckenridge Brewery out of Colorado. The uh, Left Hand Brewery's example, Blackjack Porter, is on the top is on the top end of the uh, ABV spectrum on this. It is uh, listed at 6.8%. So back to the uh, range that we talked about, it is uh, right on the top end of that 4 to 7% uh, percent range. The uh, description, this is coming from Untapped as well, holding the cards to bring you down, Blackjack Porter delves uh, deeply beneath the surface to embrace your ace. Espresso and uh, dark chocolate flavors envelop your senses with herbaceous hop flavors pulling you in from the light. You never know what treasures may be lurking in the, in the darkness. And here's the conclusion. Will you play the game? What? <laughs> they have some great copywriters. They totally do. That over hats there. off to your marketing over there department. Left hand. Left hand. Yeah, def- definitely. <laughs> Fantastic work there. Now, this really lends Herbaceous. to one thing that <laughs> I've never heard that term before. Herbaceous. <laughs> now you have. Yeah, I have. 
There we go. Get you some uh, get you some porter from left hand. It's herbaceous. <laughs> this lends to a point that I was talking about earlier about this being a very versatile style. Now, a UK version of this, you would not find the uh, the adjuncts that are just described right here as you know espresso and dark chocolate flavors. But because the style itself, you know, is kind of a versatile style just by its own nature. This is, you know, kind of a ba- a good base to to create those flavors off of. Absolutely, yeah, definitely. I um, I've had one of these beers, but it's been long enough now where it's not sticking out. It's uh, but I do remember saying, "Oh, this is pretty good." The last time I had it, yeah, for what it's worth, yeah. And going to the other example, Breckenridge uh, Brewery, the vanilla porter that they make is... Oh, that's a dynamite beer, yeah. Absolutely. This is one of my all-time favorites. I mean, just the vanilla is just so present and just so... Just such... It's such a present and fantastic adjunct in this beer. It's It really is one of my favorites. I, I love this beer. I agree, and I, I like the way that they, they got the vanilla. Vanilla is oh. a flavor in beer that is easily under and overdone uh it it can be kind of like oh well i don't know why vanilla is on the label i don't taste really much vanilla at all or it can be one of those where you're like i'm 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 taking a sip out of the the mccormick uh vanilla extract spice in the cabinet i just took a slug right out of it it's just too much but um with that beer it's one of those that it works and and the way that they integrate it is is fantastic very true I know we've uh, gone into some pretty deep descriptions about some commercial examples, and this is really good. It's it's good that we have a framework for this. Um, we're going to go into and, and talk about um, kind of the dynamics of a recipe to build kind of an ideal um, English porter. And I, I, I made a recipe just within the last week, and I'm going to kind of give a description of uh, the um, points of the recipe that, uh, that went into its uh, uh, to the building of it. Um, so just to give the overall impression again, your alcohol by volume range is low to mid, your bitterness range is on the low end, and your color range is on the mid to higher end, but not you know not overly high. So some dynamics to keep in mind if you're building a recipe you know around this category. I personally very much recommend the base malt being Maris Otter. And I say that because, and I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit biased on this, I think Maris is really an ideal base malt for for uh, for all dark beers, personally. Oh, and especially anytime you're talking about something from uh, from Britain, and if you want to get that kind of more of that roasty Great point. British note, I mean, that's uh, that's where it came from, and, and I think you'd... You won't find a lot of breweries that still that make you know your classic styles over there that use two row as a base malt. I think that Maris across the board gives it that kind of that signature yes. British kind of malty flavor nuttiness profile. to it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, in addition, um, caramel crystal malt is is kind of a, is is an ideal um, uh, additional grain. Um, obviously, you know. Th- Caramel crystal comes in many forms, and it's separated by the Lova bond. Uh, the re- recipe that I built just recently had a mix of 120 and 60 Lova bond, uh, just to uh, kind of create. And what the what the crystal will lend is it'll add sweetness to the um, 
uh, to the base of the beer and also contribute some of the color as well. Yeah, and for those of you out there that are uh, novice brewers, the basically what that is is how long they leave it uh, to be killed uh, when they process the the barley there is that it's it gets a certain uh, amount of color in in the kiln as it's cooking I guess you could say uh, or roasting and they'll pull it at different levels and so uh, the longer they've left it in the more of that appearance it's going to give to your finished product so and also more roast notes for a, a deeper roasted grain so yeah yeah, for sure. Now to uh, to close it out, um, you're going to need some additional uh, grain that will uh, th- that will give you the SRM that you're going to need to fit uh, within the style. Uh, the caramel itself is is not going to cut it on its own. So you've got a couple of choices, and you're you're going in, into the dark malt category. Um, you can go on the darkest end of the spectrum, which is black barley, and you or you can go on the lower end, end of the spectrum, which is which is chocolate malt. I personally recommend a mixture of, of both um, just just because you're going to get some added roast character, you're going to get some added sweetness character, and hopefully enough to balance it out with the color. Um, chocolate malt may or may not do it on its own. Uh, black barley being the far, far end of the spectrum will always get the job done on the, on the color. And I, I think uh, a good note uh, for people that are looking to put a recipe together is to uh, take into account whenever you're dealing with heavily roasted and heavily kilned malts that astringency uh, is a quality that uh, is something that you want to avoid because um, it's it's a very big possibility with a lot of these big roasty beers that um, and again uh, astringency is kind of that feeling in the back of your throat after you swallow where it's kind of a, a tart um some people describe it as like a medicinal kind of uh, thing going on where it's just kind of, uh, it, it's a bitter, but almost like the bitter you get from the inside, like the white pith of like a grapefruit or, or a piece of citrus fruit where you kind of get that uh, uh, in the back of your throat yeah. after you swallow. Yeah. Um, and a lot of stuff with heavily, heavily roasted grains can come off as astringent. You know, if you don't, if you don't watch the levels of that, you want to add the f- the the color and a little bit of the roast flavor. But I think some people think that that uh, uh, more. Oh well, you know, I want a deep roasty beer, so I'm just going to toss pounds and pounds of this this uh, black barley or, or black patent or Carafa three or something like that in the beer, and uh, they they'll. But I think the the end result is it, you can get too heavy handed with a dark grain. It's yes. there for flavor and a little bit of roast, but um, it, it's something to watch as you're as you're watching your ratios. So um, just as a word to the wise, there that's a, a thing that we come across in, in competitions pretty often with with stouts over, and porters. Overdo those high where, SRM yeah, you, you swallow it and it's just um, the, the you know. On the first swallow, it's like, ooh, boy, this is a little astringent, you know, which sometimes is a, a result of, of water but uh, and, and water chemistry. But most of the time and with a dark beer, it's because people have put too many husks, too many roasted husks in a mash in it, and it can kind of come off as almost, um, I think another good descriptor on, on that kind of an off flavor would be something like uh, a, a black tea bag. Like if you've ever had yes. tea that's been yes. steeped for too long. That's the perfect you, description. You, you take a sip and you're like, oh, it just has that kind of that cloying, weird feeling in the back of your throat. That's kind of what you can get from some of these roasted beers. So definitely in your uh, recipe formulation, that's something to keep an eye on is to kind of make sure that it's there, but not too much. That's, that's a great, great point. 
So uh, let's talk about hops. Um, this is on the low end of the uh, IBU spectrum, so you're gonna go. You're gonna want to go mild on the bittering hops. Now, for Novice brewer, uh, Brewers, uh, there's kind of two different categories of hop additions. They're your early edition hops, and those early editions are gonna give you your overall bittering notes. So, if you're making an IPA, you're gonna want to go strong on the uh, early edition hops. Or if you're making something on the lower end of the spectrum, in this example, an English porter, which is on the low end, you're gonna want to go easy on it. Um, for a five-gallon recipe that I recently just built a recipe around, um, I only went as high as a half ounce, which is very, very low on the overall on, on the overall numbers. Uh, Chinook was the one that I picked. Um, it's a high alpha uh, hops coming in at thirteen percent alpha, and uh, but I, honestly, that that was enough to get the job done. Oh, absolutely, and, and again, um, being a couple of Americans sitting here, I think it's easy for us to say, "Hey." Throw a couple handfuls in there. But that's really not how they do it over there, and especially with an, not with an, an English style. Yeah, exactly. And um, again, I think less is more in a lot of times with uh, with both roasted grains and and hops. It's, it's yes. again a very subtle style. Absolutely, absolutely. So going to the uh, late edition, the late edition hops are going to lend to your aroma characters. So you can be a little bit more liberal with your hops on the on the back end, especially in this example. I did use a full ounce of uh, Fuggles to uh, to uh, close it out. Now your uh, your late edition hops are gonna gonna be your lower alpha uh, lower alpha hops, and your selection of that is really gonna depend on what kind of overall characters that you're gonna try to end up lending to the beer in the end. If you want to give some fruity aroma or some real floral aroma, the late edition hops is where you're going to do that. Um, in this case, uh, you're, you're really just kind of adding just a little bit of um, aroma hops, just just enough to balance out the overall impression. And just you know, one ounce of Fuggles, you know, ten minutes to the end of the boil is enough to get it done. Right, and on any of those, you know, you've got any of your uh, noble hops would always come in. Uh, come into play at a beer like that where you've got uh, some good kind of just earthy aromas you're not looking for anything real big and bold it's uh, uh, an, uh east kent goldings is another good substitute uh northern brewer would be something that uh, could you know maybe be worked in um but still you know and you don't want to throw if you're making an english porter anyway you don't want to throw in like an ounce of citra or amarillo at the end of a boil yeah that so, would not fit yeah definitely yeah great point so the last uh, last point to cover, of course, is yeast. Um, yeast. Uh, th there's many kind of core manufacturers of yeast, and obviously, and obviously, the um, scope of yeast goes goes far beyond that. Um, w uh, some of the bigger uh, yeast manufacturers, such as Y Yeast or White Labs, do have yeasts that are geared specifically towards individual categories. The one that I picked uh, was from White Labs. They do have a uh, dry English ale uh, strand, uh, which is categorized as WLP007. And um, I love that yeast. Yeah, yeah, it's great. I've uh, I've used it several times. Which uh, what kind of styles have you made with it? Oh, let's see here. Actually, I made uh, a big imperial stout with a huge starter of that yeast once. Um, that's an interesting choice for an imperial stout, right? And uh, that's that's uh, I, again, I wasn't looking for something. Uh, I was looking for something where it was just a little bit different. Where you're like, oh, okay, what's the, the 
what's different about this beer? And I think, you know, I was able to kind of achieve that with the one that I made anyway because okay. um, it it is a high a high attenuator, um, but it still finishes with enough sweetness where it's not just going to mow through it and and uh, give you like a, a boozy bomb, you know. It's, uh, True. It's, it's, True. It's a pretty, you know, it, it's actually a, a pretty virtual or a that yeast is actually a, a pretty versatile yeast uh, to use. So, um, you know, you can use it in a lot of different styles and kind of hide the Englishness of it. If you're uh, making some American styles and you've used a lot of hops and that sort of thing, okay. if you want it to finish with a little bit of sweetness. and um, But in the classic English styles, it, it works great, too, obviously. That's great. That's great. Um yeah, beyond beyond the yeast edition, um, the the beer just finished uh, fermenting just uh, just yesterday actually, and it moved into a keg. Um, had no problem with uh, with getting the uh, target final gravity, so it did its job. So so uh, where to finish at? Uh, finished at ten seventeen. Okay. And uh, in the last segment of the show, I'm going to talk about some of the other uh, issues that I had with this brew day because unfortunately, it was far from my ideal brew day. So <laughs> sometimes those make the best beers though. I hope so. <laughs> I, I, I'm hopeful, but because uh, the um, we're going to talk about two things in uh, in lessons. We're going to and one of the things we're going to talk about is uh, temperature control. And uh, being that we're in uh, at the time of this recording is November of 2017, we have had quite a cold spell here in the Illinois area. And being that my brew setting is my garage, that really seemed to wreak havoc on my temperature control. So we'll we'll go into that in, into more detail, but uh, yeah, it's a, I think the timing of talking about this category couldn't be more perfect. Just uh, just from uh, <laughs> from what we're talking about. Yeah. Here. So so those of you out there with your thousand uh, uh, dollar super nice basement setups with your your rims and your herms Herm set up and, yeah. and your uh, beautiful <laughs> uh, stainless steel, you know, y- y- you're not going to take away much from this. You may from not. This recording. You know, this is for the uh, the hardcore people out there. Uh, just huddling over your your kettle in the in the middle of twenty below uh, weather, trying to make some beer. But hey, you know what? It's uh, it's a it's character building. There you go, <laughs> character build. <laughs> I'm also a garage brewer myself. So okay, very good. Well, this this will speak well for uh, for the both of us then. Okay, that's gonna uh, that's gonna close out segment number two. That's our recipe wizard. Um, BJ again. This is BJCP category thirteen C English porter. We're going to close this out, and we're going to come back, and we are going to talk. Uh, we're going to go into segment number three, and the uh, title for this segment is going to be "Tips from the Semi Pros." I've got some uh, th- some things to talk about about temperature control, and Kevin has some has some valuable details. Uh, Kevin, why don't you go into some uh, kind, of, kind of stuff that you, uh, that you had written down? I would say uh, the biggest part of brewing in your garage is not burning your garage down. <laughs> And so I am hoping to give some tips for safety uh, in wintertime brewing and uh, just general brewing in a garage in general that uh, I hope uh, people can use. That's fantastic. Okay, so stick with us. Welcome to A Nice Place to Brew. I am Jason. And I'm Kevin. Uh, we are at the bottom end of a of a bomber's worth of Black Butte 
26th uh, birthday reserve, and I am feeling fantastic. <laughs> How you feeling, Kevin? Nice and warm. I wish I was uh, by a fireplace with my slippers on or something. But, and a cigar you know, in hand. There you go, and, yeah. a, and a nice stogie. You know, life would be good, <laughs> definitely, but uh, definitely happy to be here and uh, happy to be part of the show and, and uh, in, enjoying the conversation. That's awesome. Well, I'm thrilled to have you. This is really, this is really great. Well, actually, going, uh, going back... Following what we were just talking about, about uh, just kind of a good, uh, relaxing atmosphere, um, I have a trivia question that I'm going to uh, pose to you. This is a uh, this is a new part of part of the show we've not done before, but I found this article way too interesting, and I wanted this to have a presence here on the show. So, uh, on the topic of relaxation, hit Kevin. Have you ever been known to say step in a hot tub and just kind of have a good uh, good relaxation time? Uh, absolutely, every chance I get. I do not own one, but uh, that is a key part of any vacation is finding yes. some sort of a, a hot tub. Absolutely. There you go. Absolutely. Have you ever been known to, say, enjoy a beer while relaxing in a hot tub? I'm not sure I've ever been in a hot tub without a beer, to be honest with you. Okay, even better. Okay. Well, here, here's, the, uh, here's the more complicated question. Have you or would you ever consider bathing in that beer itself <laughs> uh why not yeah sure why not i mean uh is is this something that a, a doctor would would say doesn't cause you any kind of ill effects i mean other i'm sure why not well actually I'm one of the things it. one of the things i'm going to talk about is the potential health benefits of this oh outstanding yes. well, so then, uh, while this while I, this I bet, may i bet bratwursts are very uh very healthy then <laughs> Because <laughs> I give them a hot tub bath every time I make problems. A hot so. tub bath. There you go. There you go. There you go. Well, while this may sound a little bit absurd on the surface, uh, the uh, topic of bathing in beer is actually really a thing. Um, this actually comes from a um, uh, from a issue of Draft Magazine going back a couple of years, uh, and I'll uh, I'll give a give a brief kind of overview of what it talked about. The um, the uh, beer bathing, as I'm, as I'm describing, uh, became a full-on trend in one European country. The first beer spa, as they descri- uh, described it, opened in mid-2006, employing a certified spa therapist to soak tourists in a blend of beers made by a local brewery. Why is this a good idea from a health, uh, health perspective? It's largely because of the hops. One spa therapist was quoted as saying hocks detoxify the body and intensify the power of the body scrub. Also, when the steam opens the pores, the skin absorbs the minerals from the beer. And with the aroma of the beer and hops, it's aromatherapy as well. So, I have some follow-up questions. Who maintains the beer that's in there? Is it is it flushed and refilled on a regular bit? I believe I, so. Am I stewing in some four day old uh, uh, person beer stew? That uh, I don't know how I feel about this, Jason. That is a great question. I don't have the answer to that. But my <laughs> impression of this is you would have to flush the beer after each attendant <laughs> attendant is uh, is taking a you, dip. In you this. can't you can't shock a, a hot tub beer tub. <laughs> I can't, don't know. Can't put any uh, any chlorine shock in there or any kind of. Well, um, I mean, I'm gonna doubt it. I don't think that's beer at that point. If you're injecting <laughs> chlorine into this, it's certainly it's not drinkable beer for sure. Oh wait, there's more though. The hops also do wonders for the hair. Supposedly, washing your hair with beer gives the hair more body. Now that I have heard, um, 
I wash with a beer, but I have not washed with beer. So I am a big fan of the, I am a big purveyor of the shower beer, but uh, I cannot say that I've ever dumped it on my hair. Shower beer. I, I have no experience with this. What What is this consistent? Oh, shower bearing is uh, a, a fantastic uh, way to, if you don't own a hot tub, um, you know, I just I bring a cold beer into the shower. Have a, have a nice cold <laughs> beer when you're taking a shower. There's nothing like it. That is amazing. And I can't believe I've never thought of that or and have not done it. It's so refreshing. It's like uh, two two uh, relaxing things to do at once. That's fantastic. I, I absolutely need to jump on this this train. <laughs> okay. I recommend a nice pilsner. Okay, yeah, that, real, that seems li- that seems ideal. Nice light, uh, crisp. You know, it really enhances the, the the bathing experience. That's awesome. That's awesome. So here's my trivia question for you, Kevin. Which European country does this story come from? And before I read off four choices to you, I'm going to say on the surface that Germany is not one of the four cat, uh, categories. Okay, that was my that yeah. was my front runner. Yeah. Okay. All right. So here's your four choices: Is it Scotland? Is it Poland? Is it the Czech Republic? Or is it the Netherlands? Ooh, no Belgium on there. Okay. Nope. Okay. And these are all these are four beer loving countries. Hmm. Indeed. You know, uh, as a teacher, I'm going to say that one of my fallback strategies is, if you if you have no idea, uh, when in doubt, see your way out. So I am going to <laughs> I'm going to go with C, the Czech Republic. The answer is C, the Czech Republic. Oh, well done, that? sir. C, there you go. It's <laughs> that uh, years of uh, writing tests have, have paid off. Now, was that process of elimination, or what? Uh, what what stood out about that? Uh, well, I just thought of all the styles of, of those com- uh, of those countries, which one would I probably be the most willing to uh, to take a bath in? And I would think a nice a nice Czech pills would be uh, would make for a real uh, relaxing soak. That's that, that's a great <laughs> point. Yeah. <laughs> and following that note, I could see why Belgium would be a reasonable choice as well. Hmm. You know, uh, I'm just thinking a nice uh, Pilsner or Kell, you know, uh, a good uh, 30, 40, 50 gallons of it, you yeah. know, just get down in there. You know, why not? Yeah. You know, maybe float some, some bratwurst in there while you're at it. And, and dinner's taken care of when you're done, right? That's a fantastic idea. <laughs> Chill in a bathtub that's, full of beer and have a bratwurst in hand as you well. You know what? Why not? You know, it's a, it's a good visual there. That's awesome. So if this seems like a good idea to anybody, venture over to the Czech Republic and uh, enjoy a good uh, beer spa bath. You know, I, uh, I have a late addition to my Christmas list, Jason. Okay. <laughs> there we go. Round trip tickets and and a, a beer bath in the Czech Republic. This this is an idea that I fully support. <laughs> Outstanding. <laughs> All right. Going into segment number three, we're going to get into tips from the semi pros. Uh, we co- uh, we made mention before the last break about the uh, the topics we're going to cover. Um, I have some points about uh, temperature control in the winter and. Kevin has some points about brewing safety, uh, both of these revolving around the uh, the wintertime. Kevin, do you want to tee uh, t- this up? Uh, absolutely. I think that, again, um, as being someone who um, always makes everything in a two-and-a-half-car garage uh, out in the driveway that, that I've ever brewed, 
um, there's a certain amount of things that you have to take into account because that is not a dedicated brewing space. Um, when I set up my uh, brew day, I'm rolling out a brew sculpture and, and setting it up the night before and, and preparing the space, but there's a lot of other things that go on in that space, including um, you know chemicals and, and gas and, and things like that that you kind of have to be aware of um, for, for your safety. And I, I think that, again, you know we're not responsible for... Uh, I, I am no uh, professional firefighter. Um, this is by no means an all-inclusive uh, list of things to uh, do or not do, but this is just some things that I've learned through screw-ups of my own and through my own personal experience brewing in a garage that um, uh, that I'd like to pass on. So don't sue us, um, but, <laughs> you know. Um, this is advice. But this is just some advice. Uh, but I think it w- you would be hard-pressed uh, if you told an insurance agent that my garage caught on fire because I was brewing beer with a giant propane burner indoors, I think you would be hard pressed to get them to cut you a check. And again, that I'm, is a great point. I am I am no insurance expert, but I'm going to say that uh, a settlement from an insurance company, if they found out that you had open propane burners in an enclosed space, uh, would be a tough sell. Um, that is not a natural disaster. It would it, it would be something. So hopefully, uh, you know, you, you think about some of these things and, and you can take some advice and that's not ever a concern. Um, so that being said, I think the number one thing uh, that you have to have is a certain amount of, um, I, I would say first and foremost, before you set up a brew day, you have to take a look at the actual space itself. Um, if there's any kind of chemical spills um, or motor oil spills, that sort of thing on the on the, the uh, floor of your garage um, you want to make sure that you clean that up with like a good absorbent like a, um, I use kitty litter to, to pick up that sort of thing in the garage floor um, that sort of thing and, and kind of give it a good sweep because obviously you want to make beer in a clean area um, you don't want you know spider webs or anything gross to fall inside of your beer as you're as you're making it but I always make sure I clean up any kind of spills that that might be uh, hanging out there and I always do a good um, I, I leaf blow the garage and just kind of blow all the stuff out of there and and give it a good sweep um, also I would say make sure that any gas cans you have or anything flammable and again this seems like common sense but you know um, there's a reason why there's directions on a bottle of shampoo, right? I mean, somebody somebody may forget to rinse, lather, repeat, or whatever, but, um, you know, I think that you have to make sure that there's nothing flammable in the immediate area. Yep. Um, and and uh, I think your best bet, and this is not just winter-specific, but um, make sure that anytime you're dealing with open flames – that you have a fire extinguisher that's in date and full um, handy also a carbon monoxide detector uh, especially for those of us that are propane brewers that um, you have one of those set up in the garage and an ability to vent the garage Um, a lot of people and again i know this uh, may seem kind of counter counterintuitive uh, when you're setting up to brew on a cold day, it's 20 below outside, um, but you still need to crack a window, crack a door. Uh, I usually try to get a cross breeze. I have a window and a door across from each other, so I'll crack both of those, and I'll open my garage door about a quarter of the way up. Um, oh, you sure. want to be able to smell fresh you air. You have to have it ventilated. Uh, yeah, you want to be able to smell fresh air in the garage, and uh, it's going to be cold, you know, so um, uh, I throw on the Carhartt, get out there, and, and you know, it's not going to be um 
th- this is not for the the the, the uh, fair weather brewers you know like my, my uh, I'm the same way with uh, barbecuing is that my wife will see me out there there's snow on the ground it's a snowstorm and I'm out there flipping steaks and flipping burgers it's it may not be comfortable <laughs> but the end result is you still have delicious homebrew to drink throughout the winter so um uh, another thing I would say is a good pair of gloves, um, either some like neoprene or some good thick uh, heat resistant gloves. And again, that's a year round concern. I think anytime you're you're dealing with uh, five plus gallons of of boiling liquid, uh-huh. and you're going to be moving these things back and forth, you want some gloves on. And plus, it keeps your hands warm in the winter time too. So, um, again, with the burner. Uh, you want to make sure that anytime you're using a burner that it's you're checking that it's it's burning um, and it's in good repair there's not any kind of boil over um, crusty material on the on the the outlets for the gas themselves um, that you've checked the amount of oxygen that the flame's getting it should be mostly blue uh, when you burn with a uh, mostly yellow flame it's a, that's a dirty dirty kind of a burn there and it can also lead to a lot of soot that gets on your brew pots um so and and also that the burner itself is on a stable surface because sometimes you know in a garage you throw things around when you're rearranging or um you know your kid stands on the burner or whatever uh, it can kind of get kind of a, a wobble to it um well if you've got a kegel full of 10 gallons plus you know whatever worth of boiling liquid a burner with a wobble to it is not a safe situation so make sure that uh you know your brewers or that your burner is propped up um on a nice stable surface and um uh again i think some non-safety concerns would be if uh, you're getting ready to, to brew and you're using the hose, you know, say for a wort chiller uh-huh. um, to bring that inside the night before because uh, obviously hoses that are kept out in the garage can be frozen over. You want to bring that in so that it can uh, it, so that it can thaw and same same deal when you're done. You want to give it an opportunity to drain before you put it away um, or otherwise that'll damage the hose. So um, also your brewing water. Now, I personally use... Uh, reverse osmosis water and then i treat it from there with different brew salts i don't use tap water when i brew so so you're doing regular water chemistry which is awesome i am and so uh i've usually uh nine months out of the year we'll just throw it in the garage because i'm going to brew the next day well i've come out there a couple times to big ice chunks floating in the middle of my water where ouch you know then what am i going to do i don't know if i'm going to have enough water that sort of thing uh and then also when you're talking about wastewater or runoff from, uh, say, a counterflow chiller uh, or um, uh, an immersion chiller, that water, you don't want to just squirt it down the driveway like you would on a regular day because it'll turn your whole driveway into a hockey rink, So, um, which could also lead to some kind of a, a safety concern. You know, you don't want to glaze your entire driveway with yeah, sure. frozen water. So um, in that case, uh, you'd either want to set up some kind of a, a recirculating chiller system, uh, which is something we could talk about on another show, or um, just collect it in buckets. You know, I have a, a stack of, you know, a lot of us uh, who have been brewing a while have stacks of brew buckets, and um, you can collect that water. I've heard of people bringing it back in the house and um doing like a load of of towels in the in the washer and just dumping it in there and um and and washing your clothes with that kind of water because really it's clean water once it's gone through a chiller um it hasn't been in contact with any beer that's a great idea and it reuses it um for a, a purpose other than just going down your driveway anyway so um that's about all i had for brew safety that's great 
That's great. And this really takes on added importance that we're getting into the winter season. And being that we're both uh, brewers that are not going to you know, stop what we do during the winter time, this, this really is important stuff. The one thing that really stood out to me, and I never really gave it much thought, is, is the point that you said about, uh, about the insurance, uh, insurance coverage. Um, you, I, I think you're 100% right that if you blew up something in your garage, being that you had a propane tank, with a live flame on an, <laughs> right you know on any kind of like insulated setting like a garage in any sense even if you had your uh, garage door cracked that's going to take on a, a, a very uh, um, I think I think that's going to be a challenging case to be telling an insurance company well, that they need to and provide I think coverage. a lot of manufacturers like you know your bio burner bio burner whatever it is yeah. they'll say for outdoor use only uh-huh so yep. I mean they're covered but uh, I don't think that you are yeah if you burn your place down <laughs> that's make it that, that's true so so I mean th- th- I mean that being said this is important stuff you know oh, because absolutely. I mean if you're absolutely. not taking safety precautions you know the idea that you that, that something could go wrong is you know, is not impossible. So, I mean, having these uh, having these precautions um, in mind and you know plans made prior to you know takes on greater importance. So, no, thank you very much for sharing that. That's great. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's go into temperature control. I'm going to start off uh, uh, this area and talk about my uh, my recent brew day. And uh, as I had mentioned uh, in an earlier segment, um, I had some significant issues with temperature control that impacted my brew day. So I'm going to give uh, kind of um, the f- uh, full description on, on what happened that day. So I was making a porter with a target um, uh, original gravity of 1075. So this would go beyond the English porter category. This would go into the robust category, uh, robust porter category. Okay. Um, so aiming for a large original gravity, you know, with a um, uh, large amount of uh, of grains making up the uh, malt bill, and provided that you have your uh, your mash uh, managed properly, you know, sh- you should be able to to meet that with uh, without any issues. Unfortunately, the outside temperature of uh, during this brew day was about thirty degrees, and this was in a nice. garage setting with uh, with with some open air exposed. I did have my uh, garage door about uh, about a quarter open, you know, just to you know insulate as best I can and not make it an unbearable day. Right, and um, I controlled all the variables that at least I thought I was uh, thought I was doing. I um, I mount, monitor my mash temperature using a dough cooler system, which has a uh, temperature probe on the end of it, and the temperature probe reads up to a digital uh, reader, which you can monitor on okay. a, on a minute by minute basis. That's cool. And it uh, and it and it gives degrees, you know, up until the tenth of, of a degree. So it's very precise, and it's a it's a really good tool. Now, my preferred mash method also is a two-step mash. So what I will do is I will do a 122-degree protein rest for the first 30 minutes and then do an additional infusion to raise up the temperature to a more natural mash temperature. In this uh, instance, it was about 156 because um, the higher the temperature, the more body you're going to get. And I wanted a good full-bodied porter. That was my my goal. Sure. The protein rest... um, did not go as planned, um, I, I, and I guess to put some more context around this, and uh, for users of Beersmith, this will take uh, this this will take on a, a, a good picture. 
in Beersmith, you can edit not only your grain temperature um, that it, that it is prior to the addition of the water, but you can also input the temperature of your uh, mash tun. Oh, and okay. it will, and, and this always defaults to either a temperature between sixty eight and seventy two. But I mean, what's sixty eight to seventy two? That's a you know a standard late spring, early fall day where the temperature is good. Okay. You know, but how often here in Chicagoland do we have temperatures of 68 to 72? Not as often as we'd like. Exactly. Probably. So that being the case, those outside temperatures do impact the overall mash, and it also is going to make a difference of what your infusion temperatures would be. So, and I took these into account, and I and I plugged in because because uh, the mash tun temperature was about 30 degrees, which was about what the outside temperature was, and the grain temperature was a little bit warmer than that. I want to say it was in the 40s. So that was the first suggestion that I was going to make is to make sure you're taking those temperatures and putting that into Beersmith so it can recalculate your uh, target temperatures for you. I did this. But even so, my protein rest was almost 10 degrees higher than the 122 that I was aiming for. Okay. And despite all efforts to cool the temperature within the 30-minute um time frame of the protein rest just didn't get the get the job done well and i'd imagine though you're still going to get a certain amount of of convertible sugars at that point you know we did absolutely we, we did followed to the uh, next step you know the, and the next target temperature was 156 so you have to compensate for the higher temperature because you know there's a there's a um there's a balancing act that you're getting with with the current temperature versus the uh the, the later temperature and the temperature that I was reading read from somewhere between the 156 target temperature and about 10 degrees cooler. Hmm. So, okay, big picture, we were upwards of 10 degrees higher on the protein rest and possibly, but not totally confirmed, up to about 10 degrees short on the, uh, on the second rest, refer- referred to as the sacrification rest. Fast forward to the end of the sparge, and you can calculate what's referred to as your pre-boil gravity, which should be the first, and, and this is a recommendation to all homebrewers, anybody who's making a homebrewed batch should be familiar with pre-boil gravity and should calculate this on every batch. And the reason for that is because that's going to give you the impression right away of whether or not you're on track to get your original gravity. Right. And it's definitely uh, easier to make adjustments. Uh, at that stage in the game, there you go. Then later in the game, so uh, you know definitely pre-boil is is key to know what you're starting with. Absolutely. Now to put some numbers around that, the target uh, pre-boil gravity according to Beersmith, I want to say was between 10.55 and 10.59. Get ready for this, and I'm emba- <laughs> and I'm embarrassed to say this. <laughs> My pre-boil g- gravity was 10.35. Okay. Okay. I took a big big hit on this okay now this is coming on the heels of all my summertime brews where i never once missed my original gravity i had a fantastic string everything was going right i was feeling great and of course i thought you know this day's not going to be any different you know just you know keep this train going was not to be okay you know so i mean put a you know put a frame around what this means 
you know, I could miss my target alcohol by volume by upwards of 3% by the fact that my numbers were as low as they were. Right, right. So at that point, what do you do to adjust? Well, there's a couple things you can do. And, and I'll tell you what I did was I added a pound of dry, of dry malt extract to the beginning of the boil. And what that's going to give you is, you know, just an additional sugar compensation. And it's all fermentable. So that's going to, you know, add to your alcohol by volume once it's uh, all complete. Um, now, being that I was as low as I was, one pound of dry malt extract is not going to make up the difference. And I knew that. Okay. But at the same time, I had to do something. And mm-hmm. a pound of DME just happened to be what I had on hand. Sure. So so anyways, I, I say all this just to put a framework around uh, around a couple of points that I think any home brewer should, uh, should maybe keep in mind on these cold winter days where you're uh, doing an outdoor mash. First thing is... Think about the idea of moving your mash tun coolers possibly to an indoor environment or an insulated environment where you're not exposed to air being as cold as it was. Now, if you're nervous about the idea of, you know, moving hot water into a house, which is a reasonable thought. And it can be heavy. It can be heavy as well. But what you can do is you can do the infusion in an outdoor environment and provided that you have a mobile cooler, just move it into an outside environment and... I th- I think that should uh, that should cover in in many settings. Yeah, uh, yeah, and uh, I I also have a, a cooler mash tun. I have the classic, you know, the the igloo ten gallon. That's what I have too. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, in my garage, we also store our camping equipment. Uh, so we have sleeping bags that are rated down to I think it's like ten degrees uh, Fahrenheit. You know, um, so it, once again, safety first. Once I've shut off all the burners uh-huh. and my mash is started, I'll just unroll the sleeping bag and, uh, and just drop just the cooler. Shove in it. it, yeah, just shove <laughs> shove it around the cooler and and uh, snuggle up the cooler. And sometimes I'll take a little uh, bungee cord and kind okay. of bungee it a couple places. But and uh, you know, I read it a bedtime story and I uh, <laughs> uh, tuck it in for. A nice little one-hour snooze. <laughs> That's great. That's great. And you know what? That, that lends perfectly because the next point that I was going to make mention of is insulate your mash tun. Oh, and absolutely. what you just did with the with the sleeping bag is doing exactly that. You just you gave a, a warmer setting for that uh, for that mash tun to be in to maintain the temperature. I love that idea. The sleeping bag. I mean, uh, I don't uh, since since. Uh, my wife and I have had children. We really don't get out camping as much as we'd like to. So, um, really, my sleeping bag has become basically just a mashed on insulator at this point. So, that, that, that's just main function. Okay. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, the other thing I was going to mention, and this is going to uh, going to a greater step of uh, brewing complexity is if you've made the graduation beyond uh, regular mash tons, uh, or I, I should let me rephrase that. If you graduated beyond traditional coolers to be your mash tons and you've graduated to, say, a you know pump system of some kind, um, obviously, you know, kind of the two um, classic examples of that, of, uh, of that are a rim system or a herm system. But even if you have something less complex, if you just have, say, one or two pumps within your system to move uh, grains or, or water th- uh, through... Um, this can be a uh, this can be a source of stability there as well. If you have a pump system, if you uh, use that pump to recirculate uh, while mashing until the temperature stabilizes, you're going to give a more uh, stable temperature throughout your mash tun, and you're going to reduce your risk of having cold and hot spots throughout the mash, which traditional coolers will typically have. Oh, absolutely. Uh, 
and one thing I have seen people use, I have it myself, but uh, I know that there's, you know, for those of us that, that don't have uh, anything to kind of pump or recirculate, uh, I have heard of people putting those heat sticks down in mashes where uh, it's kind of like the same sort of thing you'd use for like a sous vide cook where uh, it's an electric heater stick that's kind of sub- a, a submersible. Uh, you set it at a certain temperature, okay. 155 or whatever, yeah. and put it down in there. I don't know about their usability with a plastic cooler. You okay. think that might be a, melt the plastic. But uh, something to kind of keep a, a metal mash tun warm. Um, but again, I can only speak from I have kind of your your entry level uh, yeah. all grain setup of the the ten gallon mash tun. So uh, that's uh, it's me and my sleeping bag out there for now. That's a great thought, though. I mean, having a sous vide system to uh, to kind of maintain the temperature that's a great idea. Very cool. Great point. Thanks for adding that. No problem. Yeah, <laughs> I guess to put a, to put a fine point on this. Um, there's two things that really make the difference uh, in in your mash overall, and this and this goes beyond just the winter season. This is this is in uh, home brewing overall. The two things that are going to impact your mash most is number one, your ability to ma- uh, to maintain a proper temperature, and then the second of all is is having an appropriate crush of the grains that you have. If you have appropriate control over both of those. You're gonna you're gonna be a champ as far as to uh, reaching your original gravities every time. If you struggle with any of these points, you're gonna have issues, you know, reaching your target uh, original gravities. So these are important points to um, to kind of keep in mind, especially in the colder months where you have the challenges that you don't have in the warmer months. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We are one episode in the bag, my friend. Outstanding. Yeah. This this is fantastic. No, this I'm really glad this came together. Obviously, it's been a long time since we've uh, brought the recorders out and and had uh, these homebrew related conversations. And I'm I'm so glad we we got to do this. This is this is great. Well, I'm super pumped up. I could be a part of it, and uh, looking forward to a lot more shows in the future. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, d- just uh, one one point before we close. I wanted to uh, I wanted to give a uh, cheers out to uh, to George, who obviously was the uh, was the co founder of the show. Um, obviously, I would not know a fraction of the amount that I do about home brewing if uh, if he wasn't around. Uh, as as I had mentioned earlier, he is back uh, home brewing, and actually, I got to see him a couple months ago, and I got to be with him when he made his first um, uh, his first brew in his new location, which is uh, Virginia. And uh, certainly wish him the best. Um, he certainly is invited back uh, if uh, if he's able to acquire. Uh, the means to join us remotely, we would certainly look forward to his presence. Because oh, that'd be fantastic. It would, yeah. He's got a wealth of knowledge, but um, we uh, obviously we have plans to bring uh, much more content out there. And uh, again, Kevin is a, is a wealth of, uh, of knowledge, and we've got a lot more to bring to you. And George, hey, if you want to send some samples, uh, by all means, send them our way, right? It's, it's encouraged. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so to put one less cap on this, we will uh, raise our glass. It takes a lot of good beer to make great beer. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Follow our social media links at Facebook at A Nice Place to Brew and Instagram at A Nice Place to Brew. Also check us out on the web at www.anicepleacetobrew.com.